tension builds within the Rebel team. Karn gets some career advice. Pieces are moved into place and more as the Sky Guys are back to recap episode 5 of Andor. Welcome back to the Sky Guys podcast. We're having episode five of Andor. And interesting title of this episode, we call The Axe Forgot. And that's the uh, fifth episode. We're setting up for this heist that we haven't gotten to yet. It's coming next week. One of your hosts, Mike Phillips. Join me, as always. The main voice you hear in the narration every single week. Pete Constantine is here. Pete, how are you? Doing great. Doing great. Um, I'm excited for next week. I'll tell you that. <laughs> this week was a little bit of a bummer for me. But uh, excited for next week. Excited to talk a little Andor with you guys, um, as always. Absolutely. Also with us today, the uh, the over-enthusiastic uh, parent on this podcast, Nick Friata is here. Nick, how are you? Doing great. Um, always excited to talk Star Wars, and that's what we're doing today. We are doing that today, and also joining me once uh, the first time here on the podcast here, he, he's a regular Justin the Suffering podcast talking golf. Dan Martini is here. Dan, how are you? Yeah, how about a, a quick turn? Uh, from from golf to Star Wars, I just want to know where I can get one of the cool Sky Guys T-shirts. Um, <laughs> I kind of want to get in on that, but um, happy to be here. You know, very much grew up in a household with a New Hope and and Empire Strikes Back on. And hey, my the first dog toy I ever bought was an Ewok for my bulldog. So you know, at least it, it runs it runs deep in in the Demartini household. But um, glad to be here, and uh, and we'll try to add in where I can. Absolutely here. And just in general, Dan, how do you like this show so far? You know, I, I was just saying to you guys, you know, this is a this is a, a, a much more human um, focused plot. And um, it's it's not so much when you, when you say Star Wars, traditional Star Wars, most people and casual viewers like myself, you know, really think about big fight scenes and and lots of uh, things going on in outer space that are. Uh, within the galaxy that are very, you know, high powered and laser driven. And right now we're, we're getting to see, we're getting to fill in the gaps in such an amazing story. I, before we, we started, I was thinking about just how Andor fits in and what an incredible thing for Disney to do, to take a story, you know, have a start, have a middle, have somewhat of an end, but instead of expanding it and stretching it too thin, like a lot of other major, you know, stories, Lord of the Rings, things like that, they are filling in the gaps in the story instead and still giving us such unique content. So I've, I really loved it um, because once again, I, I think this is a, you've got great actors, you've got a great plot, and now you're, you're giving us a story that we didn't necessarily know. Um, we only know how it ends. Yeah, we'll see uh, the beginning and the middle of the Andor story fills out here. Obviously, Pete, people like the, what they hear on the uh, Sky Guys podcast. They always subscribe on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for the Sky Guys podcast, all your favorite podcast platforms, and final episodes there. You want to Justin the Suffering, folks, and congratulations, Justin the Suffering. This is the 300th episode of Justin the Suffering feed. It's going to be this very podcast going out there, so that's going to be a lot of fun here. But if you want, don't want to wait until the weekend for that, you subscribe to Sky Guys right now and check it out. Absolutely. And Mike, congratulations on your 300th episode. I know you've been putting a, a ton of work into this this feed and this channel. So kudos to you and, and hope for 300 more. 
but yeah, as you said, subscribe so you can get that uh, to get that early access. I mean, that's we, we talk about it every week, right? So definitely subscribe. Yeah, and Nick, if you want to follow us on the Instagram, how can I do that? Uh, at Sky Guys Podcast on Instagram, we're currently at seventy nine posts, so not quite your three hundred, but we might catch up. Yeah, Nick, there's got to be a meme coming of uh, Karn's mother coming soon. Oh yeah, definitely. And also, before we get into the episode, I don't think that's how you pronounce his name. I don't know how to pronounce it, but everywhere that I am watching a video, they're saying something very different, and I can't even hear what they're saying. I don't think it's pronounced Karn. Do we think it's Kern? I think it's I I think it's like say an E instead of an A. I think it is Kern. Yeah. Yeah. So but, for now we'll go we'll go with Kern. We'll double check the pronunciation next week. I'll, uh, yeah, we'll we'll try to get that corrected. Ram Kern, you know. We I'm just sure there's it. people out there who are listening getting pissed we're, off, we're, but we'll call him Cyril because you know that's his first name. Maybe that's what I was hearing. That's what it was. I, I think it's so never mind. So never mind. Scratch that. I was hearing them call my first name, and I was so confused because he was eating cereal. I thought they were saying cereal. No, yeah, yeah, Cyril Karn. All right, okay. So Karn, I think it's fine. Yeah, so yeah, so Mama Karn might be on the uh, Sky Guys Instagram feed soon. Yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah, and you can also check out the this video on my YouTube page, Dan. Mike Phillips on YouTube. I'm working on getting some Andor props in here, but I do like the visual aids in this in this part of things. So if you like that, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Ready for news? We are ready for some news, Nick. So you want to take away the Star Wars news for the week? Yes, I have three things in the news here. Um, one of them is suggested by Mike that Disney announced the Razor Crest Lego Ultimate Collection. Which you want to take that away because I don't really know what that means, except that they're going to give you the Razor Crest in Lego form. It probably give you more than just a regular ship. Yeah, basically, Pete, Pete can explain this because Pete has the Ulta Collector's Edition of the Millennium Falcon he built over the summer. Is that kind of scale for the Razor Crest is coming? Uh, not exactly. I think it's going to be smaller. Um, I think it's that uh, it's that edition basically. Yeah, it's ulti- so Ultimate Collector series is usually the bigger sets, right? So they yeah. made an Ultimate Collector series of uh, the Titanic, the the um. Star Destroyer, Millennium Falcon. That's just kind of what Ultimate Collector Series is about with Lego. I have to say, though, this one's, I don't want to say a ripoff, but it, I feel like you're paying a lot more for than what it is. Yeah. Uh, it's got a high price point. It's really not the largest Lego set I've seen. Yeah. So it's um, a little bit of a letdown for me. I got to be honest. Yeah, I'm, I saw, I was disappointed when I saw it. I thought there would be at least more details in the interior, like all that stuff. They didn't really give you much. Actually, Especially for the price point, right? If, yeah. if they wanted to charge a, a more modest price point for it, I wouldn't be so upset about it. But I think it's up over $600 for that set. And it is not that big of a set to be, I think, worth that amount of money. Yeah, that's for sure. What else you got, Nick? The next thing I have is the big news I think everyone's heard is that Christian Bale says he wants to be in Star Wars. And he also said what role he wants to play. He wants to play the individual stormtrooper who hits his head on the door frame in a new hope. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he means like in a maybe a, a reboot of the movie, or if he means the backstory of that individual stormtrooper. But that's what Christian Bale wants. Yeah, damn, Christian Bale stars would be fun. Yeah, I mean, look, we we we've seen him as Batman. We've seen him in now the Marvel universe. Why not throw him into the Star Wars universe as well? And there's really nothing that Christian Bale can't do at this point. He's just amazing. So I'm I'm all about it. No matter how big or small role it is. 
Yeah, Nick, I've been asking, you were asking for weeks, a couple weeks ago about big name actors for Great Admiral Thrawn. I think this is one of them. You think Christian Bale's going to be Great Admiral Thrawn? I said that would be a hell of a casting job they did that. I guess so. All right. What else? You got? Uh, the last piece of news is small, but it is news is they officially tweeted today. And it's like being thrown out there that it is official. The Tales of the Jedi is October 26th. The poster came out today. It's on the Star Wars Twitter, all over the Instagram. It's officially coming out that day. And I know we've gotten release dates in the past. And then as it comes closer, they just say, oh, actually, no, never mind. It's three weeks later, like this show. Or, for example, Obi-Wan two days later. But no, Tales of the Jedi will be coming out as planned three weeks from today. Day of recording is the 5th, so October 26th. Only on Disney Plus. I thought you were going with the Bad Batch there. Talk about how we were told seven twenty eight that got pushed back like four months. Oh, that too. Yeah, yeah. that got pushed back a long time. All right, that's that's all the news. Let's get into the episode here. And this episode, I feel like in general, P, I feel like like there was like I think maybe two stories, but it's too many in this, from my opinion. I feel like we had like the big one with the rebels. It was a half the episode. It was an half the ep- like a, a quarter on Karn. There was three other storylines, but he spent the rest of it with. I feel like for what we got. I feel like we didn't have enough runtime to sort of justify all investing all time in all five stories. You know, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, and we'll talk about my overall thoughts on the episode later when we grade them, but um, kind of a letdown for me. I feel like there was a lot of buildup in uh, this, the uh, episode four and now we're in episode five and I feel like we just built up more of the rebel, right? Alliance. Um, I think, the Karn stuff is fine. I think the Coruscant stuff probably didn't fit into this episode because it just seemed out of place, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think they're trying to complete this arc and try to get something done for episode six. And I think they kind of had to squeeze it in here. Yeah, that's for sure here. I want to start off. I want to spend most of our time on the Cassie and the Rebel plot. I thought that was definitely the most interesting stuff in the entire episode and actually the most compelling here. And Dan, I think... Was, I think it was interesting for me how the way they did this, sort of how they sort of took time to get to know all the people on the Rebel team, basically either by casting, having one-on-one conversations with them, or seeing uh, Lieutenant Gorn at work interacting with some of his subordinates here. So, like, what do you think about how they did sort of, like, getting to know all these people in a little more detail? Yeah, you know, and, and once again, I think that goes towards the, the bigger plot line here, which is trust. And it's not just within the Rebel team that's being assembled, but... It's also throughout the episode, it's can you trust the people that you work with? You know, we see that with the supervisors. We can you trust the people that work for you? Um, How much does, you know, what is your bond and what are you fighting for? And what, you know, we're starting to see these deeper layers. So while I get that it is moving slow, very slow, I I think is a way to put it for this series. This, This episode, different plot points, I feel like could have been stretched either into the last episode or at the start of the next one. But by going slow, we're seeing five or six different storylines that all involve finding yourself, finding the reason that you need what you're fighting for, what you want. And then also who can you trust? I mean, even Mon Mothma's, uh, Mon Mothma's, man, that is hard to say, (laughs) um, plot point, you know, she can't, she barely has trust within her own, relationship and with her own family so you're seeing trust in a variety of different ways um and uh but but just within the rebel team you know we can get into this a little bit more i mean there's so much in those scenes like deep-seated you know whether there's french revolutionary plot points there's i thought a little bit of the tattoos that you see on skiing a little bit too like where have you been from what kind of um 
you know, it almost had some some camp like vibes, if you know what I'm saying too. where have you been? Where's your past? And telling the story through physical. And then we're get we get into the emotional part later on too within the Rebel Alliance. So, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of lot of symbolism within the episodes that you can look as as shallow or as deep as you want. Um, but, but generally the undertone of this episode is who can you trust? Uh, and we see that throughout the, the later scenes. Yeah. Nick, one thing I like about this show is that like, unlike some of our other shows, whether it's like Obi-Wan or Boba Fett specifically, is like these characters you're co- that you're bringing into the show, they're not here to basically just be like bodies in suits or like just random people staying around like Roken to help drive the platform. They all have their own motivations. We're getting to learn about these people as they come in here. They're like, Everybody's put in this story for a reason. We're we actually find the reasons as you go. So I do agree with you, and I appreciate that. And that's like my favorite thing about the show too. But at the same time, isn't it always the time because we know they're all going to die and they're not important to the Star Wars story? So why are we learning about these characters and these tattoos when he's almost definitely going to die next episode? You don't know he's going to die. Some of them, some of them, like will. Tim, for example. We had all this time about talking, like watching Tim go around being jealous of Cassian over. Um, what was the girl's name? Bix. Bix. Yep. And then Tim is for nothing. So yep. I completely agree with you. And that's one of the favorite, my favorite things about the show is that it's grounded and we're learning about characters. But at the same time, we're learning about characters who probably don't matter. Yeah. Well, so we'll, why? Yeah. Well, we'll see if, if some of these characters do end up showing up like more. So they're going to be a whole five year span. So they could have big importance to the uh, Rebel story. I would imagine not here. all of them die. You know? not, not to get too deep here, Nick into the plot point, but they may not matter to us, but I feel like the characters all matter to Cassian. Yeah. And that would, and then creates the reason for what Cassian has been struggling and throughout this whole series to find what is his life meaning? What is he supposed to do? And what we're finding here is every single story and every person that's being brought in right now is adding to how do we find that great hero that we get in Rogue One? So I, I feel like that's more of what they're saying we probably don't need to care because we know what's going to happen, but we're finding out that truth about, you know, what is Cassian's fight. It goes from selfish to selfless. Yes. And how. And this is probably how. Yeah, absolutely here. Pete, like, of these interactions you have with the, the team, who, who caught your attention most? Who got was most interesting of the team we got to know this week? Uh, I would say Keen. Uh, Skeen? Skeen, sorry. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I... I like his character, and I think that it's it's a genuine character. It's it's hard for this episode for me to not to say I wasn't excited to learn these things about these characters. It's almost like Nick is what Nick is saying. It's like I don't need fifteen minutes on how Skeen doesn't trust Andor. I don't only because I don't think Skeen is going to be a major character in let's say the last arc or maybe the last two arcs of this show. And it, to me, waters down the show. Like, I feel like there's a lot more that could be happening that has a lot more substance by still world building. I mean, I, I, I hate to compare it to Game of Thrones because I think it's two different caliber of shows. And I just started getting into Game of Thrones, so it's very fresh. They do so much world building, but every single episode, something happens. There's consequences. There's implications to their, to their actions. There's characters that, you know, are you think are going to be important and get killed off. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different things that Game of Thrones does well that... I'm starting to compare it to Andor, which is probably wrong of me. And I sit there and go, they could do this so much better. They could do this with a little bit more of a purpose instead of I'm going to spend two episodes of us walking in the forest to get to the third, you know, the, the third episode of the arc. So it, 
for me to say I'm most interested in Skeen is is a very like loose way of saying like he's the one that caught my eye for maybe 15 minutes and that's it. Yeah, Nick, what do you think about Skeen? Um, I think he's your typical guy in that role. Typical thinks he's the leader kind of guy. He doesn't trust it, the, the the protagonist and protagonist has to earn his trust and it looks like he did in the episode. But I think uh, this show has proven that what they said about it is true. It's going to be four, three episode arcs. And I think that this show specifically, this episode suffered from the release mod- model where if they released each arc at a time and give us like two weeks in between, this episode would be fantastic. It would fit right in the middle and lead us right into the next one. But the fact that we waited a week for things that, by the way, I think are not going to happen, things that were in our predictions last week, I don't think are going to happen, not like in the next episode, I think ever. I think we missed it and they skipped it, meaning the dinner. But I think that this show suffers from that and it would be better if it was just like that. But it'd be worse for us because there'd be less episodes to record. Yeah, that's true here. I do think Skeen is interesting, Dan. I also I also think in terms of like he's like very like dis- like distrusting of Andor and talk about uh, they have imperial backgrounds and all that. I also find Nemec interesting, the uh, younger guy. They basically like he's the philosopher of the group. I thought he was also very uh, fun to see him sort of have his own little manifestos. He's basically talking about the whole way through. Yeah, and and that had that's where like that whole French Revolution vibes, and you know the young guy on the battlefield who wants to be a poet or or a writer or whatever. Just like the whole that whole philosophical side to fighting for something, uh, meaning more and making your life mean something. That's where I thought it was kind of you know day before the war type of vibes. Um, I am really I do want to say sidebar. I had re- wrote this down, Nick, after listening to you guys last week. I felt terrible that the episode completely starts and when we get to see Mon Mothma like skips that dinner to breakfast the next morning. And I was just like, oh no, I thought that was going to be such like a, a big thing. So sorry about that. I, um, you know, that, that was a, a fascinating scene, but it leads to something that we can talk about later. Just, I counted, I think like seven different things in, in this episode of Andor where if, if you were, basically had closed your eyes you wouldn't necessarily know that you were watching star wars it would sound like a normal 2022 uh, sitcom everything from cereal and milk to bratty teenagers to the corporal who's on a smoke break to um parent backseat driving you know kind of all this stuff um that that is you know kind of has made andor very realistic and and you know enjoyable at least for me but um, you know, that's kind of where I, you know, I, I couldn't get over the fact that they got rid of that dinner, Nick. So I'm so sorry. It was, it was very disappointing. I think that was what I was looking forward to the most in the show. Yeah, we might still get it. We're not, we don't know. So we'll put that in the back burner here, though. We'll stay on this plot for a little bit here. I do think this year we're seeing Cassie try to work these relationships here. And then he gets briefed on the plan. And then I think he correctly points out that there are flaws in the plan. Apparently they don't know how to drive the rail car or whatever that that's their track. He basically like bars with them. He's like, Hey, I'll get you out of here, but I get to fly the getaway ship. I'm not just like extra muscle on this thing. So he did some good work leveraging himself into a more important role in the mission. Nick, what do you think about that? I agree. I, I liked his reaction when he found out they didn't know how to drive it. He was like, you don't know what you, uh, you don't know how. Yeah. In other words, like, you've come this far, we're about to do this thing, it's tomorrow, right? Yep, it's tomorrow. 
and he doesn't, and they're like, you don't even know how? Like, what were you planning on doing? Yeah. So I, I thought that was funny, but it seems like they're, well, I would imagine the job's going to be successful, right? Because Cassian lives, because we know he lives. Well, we know he lives. I don't know about any, any of the rest of them. It could not, it, this could be a failure. Yeah. I, I, well, my, my guess is that they're that the job's going to succeed, but they're going to lose about half of them. That would be my prediction. Yeah, well, P. I also think it's interesting, too. Like, he also pointed out when they were training for them, when Tamarin's training them to do the march in and whatever, whatnot. Like, he, Kazakh was like, hey, you have guys on the wrong side. You're going to raise alarm bells if you do this. So, again, like, for all this time this group has had to plan this thing, they are missing big details. Yeah, and I think that just kind of speaks to the rebellion at this stage. There's really not a lot of experienced people in the rebellion yet. We don't have, you know, commanders that have gone rogue. We don't have a lot of different things like that. We have that one lieutenant, the Empire lieutenant that's there, but it it's just kind of again speaks to where the rebellion's at right now. And I also, you know, I also think that scene where Andor finds out that they don't know how to drive the rail car is a little overacted. I mean, I feel like he he could have been done differently i was like watching it going this guy's trying too hard um and that was like the only scene in out of the five episodes i've watched where i was like the acting's a little off for me but but i mean it's it's uh it's a weird rebellion right now it's a little, it's very sloppy it, it is a little sloppy here and uh dan what do you think of the confrontation we got like in the middle of the thing of this thing or after there's on the way there the scheme basically jumps and, like andor and basically steals the kyber crystal off him and says hey who brings a treasure or robbery and then cassie was just a bit like I got paid to be here and just says like, you guys try to find your way out of the mission because you're nervous. So like, don't blame me. I'm here to be paid, but like, we're all have a job to do here. So let's just focus, and get the job done. Yeah. I mean, that was a bold strategy. Um, you know, just to kind of stay on this front, I think that scene initially about, you know, the team not having up somebody that's capable of driving showed if you see there, Cassian basically puts Vel even back in her place. And, it shows that he's proving himself to her first. And then when this secondary scene comes up and Skeen's got the knife to Cassian's neck and Vel seems to immediately come to the defense and seems to smooth it over, but leaves that kind of opening, I guess, um, like there could still be some tension within the group. Cassian makes that bold decision to then claim exactly what he is in this scenario. Um, and Vel goes with it instead of like trying to stop him or let him not speak or whatever it is. Like, I think that relationship there is pretty important. So not, I don't want to get into my predictions. Like I know Nikki has his feelings on, and I'm sure Pete does too, but um, you know, who's going to make it through the next episode. I'll save mine for the very end, but I think that it's pretty apparent certain relationships will survive and not everybody else. Yeah, absolutely here. I do think also with this thing, I think in addition to all this stuff with the main team here, I do get a lot of Lieutenant Gornick. We see him, we hear from them. We don't, his motivation about how like, oh, like he fell in love with a local girl. He lost promotion of the empire and the girl left him. So now he's just trying to get back everybody. I did like seeing him at work when he basically manipulates his underlings basically to, to agree, agree to, he gets them to ask him to have less staff on the building so that they can go watch this event. So he basically does a good job sort of manipulating his situation and his uh, less uh, make mentally strong workers into vacating the press and make it easier for the rebels to do their job. Yeah, I mean, there's no other way to put it except the show's written phenomenally. Like, that's great writing. It just makes sense. It's, it's, it's acted well. 
it's written well, it's produced well, all of it is fantastic. It makes me say, if you think, like, what if the guys who are writing and the, the people in charge of this show, everything in terms of writing, directing, everything, did like the Obi-Wan show, which was good, the Obi-Wan show, but like, it was only good because of the context, not the way it was done. You know what I mean? Yeah. The content, not the context. Like, the content was good. Like, we saw Obi-Wan versus Vader, but the show wasn't made well. I would be like, what if we got a show like that with these people in there? That would be fantastic. But there's really nothing else you can add to that. He does a great job on the inside, making it, you know, easier for his rebels to get the job done. And it's just a great, it's just great writing. Yeah. And Nick, can you imagine the Roken version of this scene? No. Yeah. <laughs> Roken would not be in the show. Yeah, because I can't imagine it's like 30 seconds, like 30 second versions. They're like, 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 you should be, you should do this job. You want to take the day off. That would literally be the Roken version. Yeah. <laughs> and we also remember in our preview show, we, we did our character draft. No one took Roken, obviously, but we were all thinking it. Yeah. We were all thinking because, like, what happened to Obi-Wan? It seems like those like the early stages of the rebellion. That's kind of what this show is, too. Are we going to have Roken in this show? We actually kind of considered it for a little bit. Now, I don't think I'd be, I don't think anything that would shock me more. Yeah, and one other thing I want to mention here before we move on here, Pete, before we move on from this storyline, because there's really not much happening here. We do have sort of, I mentioned the, the tattoos that Skeen has at the beginning of the show, because obviously he has the one that's the crate Dragon symbol, which we know about the crate Dragon from Mandalorian here. Also, the other one is like for the, is like for, is like something about the hand, which the, I think Cassian knows about, but like apparently this is like an Easter egg reference to like a secret, like a group of Imperial soldiers who work directly for the Emperor. So I think that's a pretty cool like Easter egg to throw in there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I to be honest, I didn't catch on any of those when I was watching it. Um, it's a cool, cool interaction. It, it's you know, it, and and Dan, you obviously can go after I just say this part. It it's a cool interaction that doesn't mean much. I, I hate to be that way, but it, that's just my opinion. It, it it only just shows how the dynamic for those two are, and I don't think we're gonna get anything more about where skiing comes from. I think that's just what it was. Yeah, no, and just to, to go on that, you know, they, I guess they're they're naming Cratehead and By the Hand yeah. are the two, and basically it's just to to, to essentially, I, I am starting to see a little bit more of of as I'm thinking now back to the episode of what Pete's saying here, and that scene alone, it's it's more information than that, that is necessary. I mean, that all they needed to do was bond the fact that Cassian and Skeen have both grown up in some sort of teenage or young adult contained area. Uh, I don't want to call it like internment or anything, but they clearly have been prisoner for something or some reason. So, but I, I that's a lot of deep cut context. You're right. Like I know they're trying not to do too many Easter eggs, but I mean, I guess they are making some serious references, uh, but you got to know that stuff. All right, let's go on to some, another angle here. I think let's go to Cargill because I think it's the next most meat on the bone here. And Nick, I got to say, like, the conversation with Carl and his mother at the breakfast table and he basically spends like half himself eating cereal, I think was very was hysterical. Yeah, it seems like uh, Jewish mothers are alive in the Andor world. <laughs> right? Yeah. Kind of seemed like that. His name is Cyril. Okay. Yeah, Cyril Karn. Yeah, well, kind of cool that he had uh, blue milk cereal, right? 
Yep, yeah, blue mix cereal. And Dan, the look on uh, the actor's face when like Connor's getting reamed out by his mother for disappointing her and not, and not living up to her expectations is great. Yeah, I, I, I have to say, like, I initially was a little confused when she kept saying no prospects. Yeah. It sounded more, and the way they worded it, I kept going into the scene. Like, was she talking about like some sort of romantic prospect or a job prospect? Did you guys feel the same way? I thought it was clearly job because he just got fired. Yeah, but just the context of the whole thing, like what would you do if you if you were completely lost and lost your job and had no one? What would your mother want for you to go find? And then she even says it. She hints at it. Someone that will take you on. Right. Isn't that the, the quote that she uses? So like that's kind of insinuating that maybe he needs like a strong partner. But anyway, I just thought that, that was very clever writing. We all know that it's like, how are we going to get you back on your feet? We're going to reach out to uncle, whatever, and we'll go from there. Okay. But I, I thought it was just very clever writing because, you know, clearly he's ashamed. He's a grown man. He goes back home. He goes to his mother. He's eating cereal at the kitchen table or whatever it is. And the next thing you know, she's already questioning him about what his prospects are. So, yeah, very P clever. Yeah, Pete, what did you think of uh, Karn's mother? I mean... I think the character is going to be irrelevant after this arc. I think Karn's going to go do what he needs to do afterwards or whatever happens. And that's the end of it. I mean, it's, it's a necessary arc point uh, to see Karn in that kind of stakes. I think that's going to be a motivator for him. And this is actually one of the parts of the art of the, of the episode. I didn't mind as much as the rest. Um, so it, it makes sense. It just shows that, you know, Star Wars, people in Star Wars are human. And I think that's been a theme that we've all touched upon in this episode and many episodes prior about this show. So it, again, an interaction for that character, that means nothing to me, but important for the character development. Yeah. And Dan, the uncle's uncle Harlow. That's who he, she's going to reach out to. Yep. I know. And I'm, I'm curious to see what that's all about because, you know, I firmly believe that, you know, we are seeing, Five to, as we said, five to six different characters in different circumstances that are all going to help Cassian's cause in one way or another. So I do think that Karn is going to, he's still, as you see it towards the end of the episode, if we're going to stay on the, the Karn uh, storyline here, you know, he's still not over Cassian Andor. You know, he holds up the hologram image, right? So no matter what's happening here, he's still got that sense that he's still tied to that story. So we're going to get Karn one way or another, whether he decides to flip and help or whether he becomes another, you know, even bigger baddie towards the end of the series. Yeah, Nick, I think it would be a good point, too. This is what Dan brought about the whole Karn situation, about how he's like, at the end, he's looking at Cassian's picture still. He still says to him, like, he is going to be a big part of this whole story the whole season through. And, like, I think this pushes me more towards, like, He's going to end up work teaming up with Deidre, like who we're going to talk about in a few minutes on the ISB side to investigate the rebellion. I feel like that this is going to be sort of like, you know, like he caused me my job. I'm going to get my revenge on this guy. I'm going to find somebody who's sympathetic with the, within the Imperial ranks to help me. Agreed, definitely. But well, my big takeaway is that who this Harlow seems to be important, seems to be high up enough that wherever he is, that I'm assuming it's a he, it's uncle. I guess it is a he. Um, that he has pull that can get him in touch with someone who would hire him. I'm very curious on who Harlow might be. I'm not expecting a cameo or anything, but I'm expecting somebody who has some pull. Yeah. So I, it could be a big boss, if you will. I, I like to, I'm curious to find out who this person is. I think we're going to meet them eventually. Yeah. Maybe they change, maybe they do change his name to Agent Callus and Pete gets points out of this. 
Yeah, or or, or maybe it's uh, Roken or something. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll see about that one here. Let's go to the ISB for a minute here because obviously, I mean, if you get a little bit on Ferrex, we see that Ble your friend Blevin is back there. He's setting up shop there. I did think that was that to me was like I saw this. He like why? Like why do you need this? I I, I mean. I hate to say it. Most of the episode we didn't need. Yeah. I, I hate to put it out there. Even the course on stuff don't need it. Yeah. Maybe what I'm thinking is that like, they just want to show that the empire has such control over everything that they just clear out an entire hotel and say, this is our place now. Yeah. I think four it, it wasn't five, a long scene. So it's okay. I think four or five different times in this episode, we just see the arrogance of the Empire, right? The TIE fighter flying right over the rebels, not even taking a second look. The guys just assuming they're going to run all over, you know, everybody that's, um, I think, what is that scene on the bridge where they're talking about, oh, there's only a hundred of them. Oh, can you imagine, you know, how many do you think we're going to face tomorrow or whatever it is? I, I, you know, just all these references that they make throughout the episode where it's just constant arrogance of the Empire. So it doesn't shock me there either. Yeah, I did think I like the Deidre scene a little more, uh, Pete, because we do see Deidre basically talking to her sister about like, they're going through listing like, all these incidents that are happening. Oh, here's something happened on Hosni and Prime. Here's something happened on Kessel, something on Jakku. And then Deidre basically puts it together like, this is not random. Like, there's something going on here. So Deidre at least has a pulse. And again, it goes back to her good instincts that we talked about last week that the Empire seems to discourage. So interesting that she's clearly got a finger on the pulse. That they, there's some sort of, these incidents are not like isolated. Incidents. They're, they're connected in some way. Sure, and I, I think this is a perfect example of how you can world build and story build in a very short scene. Yeah, well done. We get it. They're going to look more into it. They they have an inkling. We don't need twenty five minutes of them trying to figure it out, right? So I think that's the kind of stuff I'm looking for to get actual more content and more maybe I don't want to say action, but something that actually is meaningful in the episode. So this was a perfect example of how you can in less than two minutes or whatever the scene was, three minutes. You can world build, character build, and understand, okay, this plot point's moving forward. Yeah, you just, this, this is a nice little quick little bite that sort of drove the plot forward for for for, De for Deidre and the whole let's investigate some of these incidents. Yeah, absolutely. Do you guys think at this point, not to jump, this isn't like a huge prediction, but do you guys think that she will end up being helpful towards the rebel cause? Or do you think that she will be the reason that maybe something else in this series fails? I still think that she's going to end up working with Karn. They're going to sort of be the like the two of the primary antagonists for the rest of the season. I, I could see her being helpful to the Rebel cause because she keeps trying to get help from the Empire and not getting it and saying, well, all right, if you guys aren't going to help me, then why am I a part of this? I could see that happening. That's what I was thinking. So I'm, I'm curious what they're going to do with some of these and whether or not characters in certain roles will flip-flop. So I was just curious. Yeah, because, I mean, Rogue One itself, Nick, was very, a lot, of, a lot of morally gray characters in it. So it makes sense that the show sort of carries that forward. Yeah, that's right. A lot of gray area here. Also, notice a lot of gray in, like, the weather. It's always cloudy, you know? There's not, it's not sunny in the show. It's on purpose. Yeah, it absolutely is here. And let's go to Mon Mothma's storyline for a little bit here. And then we do get an interesting uh, poll here, Dan, because Mon Mothma, like, you theorize that she might, this dinner might happen last night, then... She's sitting having breakfast this morning with her husband. With her husband, and then her daughter comes in, who like we haven't seen before, and basically says, "Hey, I'm going to take you to school." And the daughter basically has a complete freak out. Basically says, "Like you know, like 
I don't want you to take me as performative. I'm the, I'm not your prop and all this stuff. So very nasty tone for the daughter for to uh, poor mom Nafma. Yeah, and we're seeing the dynamic here too. That clearly, Mon Mothma has spent too much time focused on her own career or, or achievements or the greater good or whatever it is. Eventually, um, but it is not uh, the same thing at home. And this alliance that seems here's what's funny. I looked at the daughter's kind of rant right there, not as. Um, reactionary that seemed like premeditated that seemed like her and her father had this plan already and that you know they were he was taking her to school all along so clearly there's no trust there for her at home so that's just another added stress for her i don't know what it means uh, to take a, a page out of pete's book here don't know what it's going to mean for the actual plot of the whole series <laughs> But it, it, I guess it was entertaining to see that those kinds of very realistic conversations that happen nowadays it can happen even within the Star Wars universe as well. Yeah, Nick, what do you think of uh, Lita, Mon Mothma's daughter? Well, I mean, she's annoying, but I think that the scene is important. I'm telling Mike off the air this, that the scene is important because I think it shows that Mon Mothma is always in some sort of fight. Nothing in her life is comfortable. Everything's a battle. Like, from work, where she's clearly involved in the Empire, but doesn't want to be. Like she's building a rebellion secretly, or at least trying to, even since Revenge of the Sith and the deleted scene, she's trying to build the rebellion already. And at home, her husband and her see do not see eye to eye politically at all. It seems like he's literally the opposite. The daughter wants nothing to do with her. So nothing in her life comes easy, and that's good because, well, it's not good, it's bad, but it's good for her character because we don't know anything about this character really going into it. We just know she was the leader of the rebellion. We don't really get to know anything about her, so seeing some sort of conflict in her and how she overcame something makes her a stronger character when we do see her, like in the original trilogy and even in Rogue One. Yeah, and P, interesting fact that I found out that I was doing my research, apparently that in the expanded Star Wars universe in the novels before the Disney era took over and wiped out all that stuff as non-canon. My mom had a daughter in that, so they brought the character into canon here. It's something they don't really do very often. I think Thrawn might have been the last one. Yeah, I mean, I think this scene was poorly spent. I think they could have just used this time to do the dinner scene, personally. Um, and I think you would have still gotten the same... Uh, effect of how mom moth was always challenged and the daughter could have been in that scene and the, the father and daughter could have had even that conversation if you wanted to at that dinner table and made it even more public i mean there's there's it was poorly executed i think there was better ways to do it it was a fine scene and uh you know cool cool for them to bring in mon Mothma's daughter into canon but like it's 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 Star Wars. I don't think anyone's gonna bat an eye twice at who Mon Mothma's daughter is. Yeah, well, let's let's say they no, they I did that. They have not really done that very much since the Disney takeover. So put that in, into the universe. Sure. Yeah. All right. Keep an eye on that here. And Nick, we get the other scene with Mon Mothma. And she's riding in the uh, car with her husband, and her husband's actually driving. Yeah, where's she going? We yeah, we don't know where she's going, but she's a, they're talking about some sort of charity that she's setting up to help people out, and her husband asks her about it, and she does give him a good comeback line. He's like, "Why?" Like he says, "Why did you tell me about it?" He's like, "Oh, I didn't think you were interested because it's charitable, as opposed to like being like you being all rich and fancy." 
Yeah, yeah, you can see that they're clearly opposite on the spectrum there in terms of political. Now, I'm curious as to where they're coming from, because I think there's a possibility that they were coming from the dinner. We didn't see it, but the dinner was supposed to be at their house. So why would they be traveling to it? But maybe it just wasn't at their house. Or maybe they went, maybe they're coming from work. Well, since they they, they, they met with pretty fancy. They met with this Gar Tafid. That's the name of the person they met with, which yep. the only thing about this guy is that he was mentioned in today's episode. That's it. So we know nothing else about him or, or her. I don't know. And he says that that Tafid knows more about what Moth was up to than he is. So I would imagine this guy is some sort of rebel who seems like he's on Mothma's side, right? Yeah. And they were talking, and then her husband's upset about it, I would think. And this something seems missing almost like we should have had like a nice dinner scene might still have it they could have had it if they were doing a big party maybe because they mean the table at her house only seats like six people yeah i think it's clear the dinner had happened already yeah well i'll stick i think i think the breakfast was the morning after the dinner yeah, we'll, we'll see. We can put that in the, on the background here. But that's really the end of that thing here. And then the last part of this episode we really get to here is we get Luthen for a little bit, which we hadn't seen until literally the very, very end of the episode where you basically see him listening to the radio, trying to get updates on the mission here. And the other thing that Luthen basically was talking about, like he was worried about like being exposed by both Ve- by either Vel or uh, the thief Andor. So I thought it was interesting that like he's that worried about Andor. So he seemed to trust him like so much in the when he picked him up. Sure. Um, I'm sorry. I just I don't have much to say about. It. Like, yeah, you said it all, right? That's that's the plot point. That's what it was. I don't find it interesting nor non interesting. It's just it's there, you know. Um, something that could have been done maybe in the heat of the action in episode six, if if that's when it's all going to go down. If we're doing that. Um, Interesting to, I mean, they pretty much end the episode there or, or close to it. Um, yes, actually, that's actually the actual last scene. Right. I mean, it's just such a weird way to end that episode to me. I don't think anyone was like, oh, my God, what if what if Luthen gets caught? Like, I don't think anyone had that feeling. No, there wasn't that much of an intense like, oh, I got to watch next week because Luthen's worried. Uh, it, it's um, yeah, it's a scene. That's that's all I can say about it, really. Uh, Dan, anything you add? Yeah, you know, I I look at it as kind of um, it goes to show, you know, so far in the first few episodes, we've seen Luthen's been able to kind of really wheel and deal in this section of the of the Star Wars universe. And um, I, you know, he seems to be in control. He plays two different very characters. Clearly, he's playing himself and what his goals are. He's playing the shopkeeper on the other side. Um, It goes to show you that Luthen has no control. Uh, He's a worried dad in this scene, you know, and their kids are out past curfew. It's like they don't have he doesn't have any control other than he's done what he can to give them the best shot to succeed. And he's going to keep pacing until he finds out. So I think they left us, you know, once again, it wasn't uh, this amazing climactic finish. But I think it also is setting us up for the fact that it's truly on the Cassian and the Rebels. uh, They're on their own. Um you know, unless there's a surprise or a big cameo situation, um, he's he's done all he can. Uh, and we will pick him back up at some point, but it's probably in the next arc. 
Yeah, and Nick, do you feel like it's also hurt, like, hurt for like the lack of losing? I feel like he was really the driver of the action in the first four, and then he was barely in this one. He was, yeah. They could have used more Luthen. Uh, there was another Easter egg in his shop. They showed um, they showed the stones from Indiana Jones in the background, which is very interesting. I guess Indiana Jones takes place in the Star Wars universe. Somebody in that show is a big Indiana Jones fan. I think last week his bullwhip was in Carbonite in the shop. Yeah, that's true, too. There was one last week, but could have used more of him. I think that his, what's his name of his assistant? I, I'm trying to look it up. Clea. 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 Yeah. Well, their conversation, it seems like he thinks towards the end there that he may have made a mistake in hiring Cassian, and he's getting worried. Not that he thinks he made a mistake, he's getting worried, like he said, and I think that just shows that the mission's not going to go smoothly. Not that they won't get it done, they might. I don't think it's going to, well, of course it's not going to go smoothly. If it went smoothly, it wouldn't be a show. It wouldn't be an episode on them just winning and then just going, all right, everyone go home. Like, that wouldn't work. So obviously something's going to go wrong, but I think something's going to go more wrong than we think. I think we're going to see some deaths. How many people are in that crew? There's five of them plus there's, Cassian? There's six. Okay, if you got Plus Cassian? Yes. Or six. no? It's six, and then Cassian is seven. There's seven total. I, I think we walk out of there with three or four. Probably three. I would assume three. I think because also we don't know when like two of the, like uh, Vel and Cesta went off doing their own separate part of the mission. So like, it's all the guys are going into the base. So well, we know we know the happy go lucky guy. What's his name? Uh, Nemec, our philosopher. He's definitely dying. Yeah. First one too. He'd be the first one dead. Yeah, I I personally think that only Cassian, Vel, and it's Cinta, right? Is the other one Cinta. that um, yeah. that he that Cassian's kind of got an eye for. Yeah. Um, little flirtation scene there. I like that one. Um, I only think that those three survive. Yeah, and I also remember that good point with Sesta too. I think some. I think Tamron tells. I think Vel tells him like, "Hey, she's sharing a blanket with someone already." Basically telling Cassie, "Don't shoot your shot." Somebody already took it. All right, and with that, I think before we, before we move on to the tracking and stuff here, I want to throw this out to Dan too. Here, like, what do you think about what Nick said earlier? You think that this show is sort of hurt by the fact that like this is clearly designed sort of these arcs to sort of flow together from one to the other? Do you think this would have been Proceed better if it maybe be we release all three in one shot and say, okay, here's the full thing. Because I feel like I don't know if you watched the show Sherlock back in the day. It sort of feels like you chopped the Sherlock episode up into, into three parts and released them in three weeks. You know, just as the, as a casual, you know, Star Wars fan on on this side of things, like I'm I'm okay with it because it's different. You know, I don't I, I don't know too many other shows that I personally have watched where it is kind of released in it's all one story, but they feel very like you can watch them in groups. Um, it almost feels like, what is it going to be? Three or four mini, essentially movies, yeah. right? It's going to yeah. basically be about an hour and a half or, or two hours. So yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I'm enjoying it for what it is. I'm enjoying it for it's, it's um, you know, I loved, I, I will say it sounds like every casual Star Wars fan says the same thing. You know, um, a ro- you know, Rogue One was is obviously my favorite movie. Um, I, I hate to kind of repeat that, but it's such an amazing story. So um, and, you know, it's not a happy ending, really. So, um, you know, I, I think that that's kind of a unique um, situation. So I enjoy the series for what it is. Um, could it just be better if it flowed? Yes. I absolutely think that they probably could have chopped it down. What is it going to be a, a 12 episodes, Mike? Or yeah. So it's like more of the fact that, you know, like if, if four or five, six, those people are supposed to flow together as one part, release four or five, six together, opposed to like just wait three weeks for this revolution. And especially if you're going to do like 
like drop this into the story, then do a chess pieces episode, and then have the big action piece in six. I could, I could, uh, I will 100% agree with you. It would be better if they had a break between the the, the episode drops. Correct. Yeah. There should be a gap between and then release all three. I think that that would be the better way to do it, so that you kind of you're you're getting enough to fulfill you for a couple weeks, and then hit the reset button. Yeah, like the Nick the monthly Android model. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy the the way they usually do, not necessarily in this show, the weekly releases. I like it more than the binge model. I like being able to discuss it with not only you guys, people off the air, in between episodes. What do you think is going to happen? Did you see this one? What does it mean for the future? Did you see that guy? He had this over his shoulder. What does that symbolize? I like that more than the binge, where it comes out on a Friday. If you didn't watch by Monday, if the office cooler, water cooler, you're completely outdated. Everyone, you know, everyone's talked about it already. You come in Tuesday. I watched it. That's old news. You know, so I like that a lot more. But in this show, I think I still want the episodes to be spaced apart, not come out all at once. But I think it should be arcs coming out. I think it should be four different drops, like like you said, the end or monthly. I think that would do better for this show. But with that being said, I still love this show. Oh, yeah. It's very well done. Yeah. All right. Let's get to the some- opposite of Boba Fett. Yes, that's true. Boba Fett has uh, so exciting, the episodes, everything was on the edge of my seat, but the show sucked. This is the complete opposite, where the show is really good, but I'm not on the edge of my seat. Yeah, you're sort of waiting for something to happen. Right. All right, let's go to the uh, stuff we do every week, all our tracker and stuff. We'll start with the character draft, and once again, no update to this board here, so refresher, everybody. I have Bail Organis, Steve Repio, and Director Krennic from Rogue One. Nick has Palpatine, General Dre from Rogue One, and Ahsoka. He has Jyn Erso, Harrison Duel, and Agent Callis here. So, Dan, every way a little bit before we get some action on this. Yeah, no, I, I love this. Uh, I, I think this is a fantastic board. Walk, walk me through a little bit, just real quick, kind of, Mike. I'm I'm curious, uh, your three picks here and, and how that happened. Yeah, well, basically, like, uh, the way I described it last week with Vin was like, and Nick pointed out correctly, this is sort of like the... Uh, the uh, Senator Droid stack from all the round in fantasy, fo- fantasy football. This is basically the way I stacked that. And then I figured, you know, I saw the ISB in the trust. Like, oh, credit because he's in them. So maybe he's there. I love it. I love it. And I, and this is kind of a fun, uh, you know, it's a fun look at these characters too, just to see them kind of matched up. Yeah. But I, I have to, I, not, not to, nothing against your guys' teams, but Nick's team is, is pretty strong. He's got arguably the. I can't uh, imagine I see Ahsoka in this show. I'd be shocked to see her. But Palpatine, I think we're getting one. And then I thought we were going to be more involved with the Rebels. That might be a season two thing for Draven, but we'll see. I I have a feeling that Nick's team's going to have a couple appearances here. Yeah. We'll see. I I took Bale because I figured friends with Mon Mothma also. So we will see if that ends up panning out. But nothing to report yet here. And. Also, like the trackers, Pete, they stay pretty much exactly the same from where they were last week. So once again, no Hondo. Hondo's still at 18, but we are waiting eagerly for him to show up. Yeah, I mean, Nick said it before. I mean, we'll, we'll see him eventually, hopefully, in, in live action Star Wars. I, I feel like these trackers are going to be few and far between for the show. I think we'll maybe get one or two throughout the season. Um, we'll get Saul Guerrero, right? Like, but, yeah. but um, I think this is going to, it's such a unique show. We're probably not hitting those trackers anytime soon. Mike, let me ask you a question. Yep. Why do we do the trackers? Like, we first started doing them, I imagine, in Clone Wars Season 1, right? Yep. Which is about almost two years ago now. Yeah. So there's a reason we do the trackers. It's a, what it's, is the reason? Sort of running gags, sort of like he trackers like certain things for entertainment value. We, so the answer I was looking for was, which you pretty much said, is 
we're trying to keep track of things that they constantly do that we kind of think of it as like a joke, like, oh, here's Hondo again, or <laughs> here's another classic line. The fact that there's no trackers shows how good the show is. Yes. Because it's not repeating itself. It's not doing the same classic line over and over. It's not throwing in the cameo to be successful and still works. Yes, it does. So um, I think the more trackers, the worse. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Mandalorian might be the exception to that. Yeah, yeah. Mandalorian is a, a. I think this show's better than the Mandalorian in terms of the writing and stuff like that. But the Mandalorian is the show that you know that's it's the big leagues. You know what I mean? Yeah, this is sort of yeah. This is like a very different track that, that you're going on for like, for all these other shows here. And he mentioned some of the other ones here. No cameos yet for on either anime or action. Frontier, I'll throw that out there here. And damn, we you do the planet tracker usually here too. And we only have been to. The same five planets. We visited all, pretty much all of them this week, except for, I think, the, the more lava one. So nothing updated there either. No. I will say, though, just on Nick's point there about, you know, not being too fan service-y, I, I, I couldn't help but when I was, like, watching the episode and Vel says, everyone has their own rebellion. Like, isn't that just such a perfect, like, snuck-in tagline for Andor in the series in general? Like... It's it was I kind of thought that was a little fan service of all the wonderful writing we're getting when she's like, everyone has their own rebellion. Like I, I had a little bit of a eh, OK, all right. They they did it. They snuck that in. <laughs> yeah, they did sneak that in. But Nick, it is not a classic line. So no classic lines either this week. That's right. That's and, right. And I think this one, Pete, we're going to update next week and or kill count. These got to be killing more people at the uh, in, at the Imperial Vision that I there. I, I would believe so. Yeah, so right now we're still on those two uh, Stooges from the beginning of the show, so that's all we are on the tracker front there. But now we're going to go ahead, we're going to go to next up here, the MVP and LVP board, where we start to take a look here at the best and worst characters across the season of the show. So I'm going to share it for the YouTube audience, the current board as of episode four. So right now the current leader on the board is Cassian Andor on top at plus five, Luthen in second at plus four, Mon Mothma in third at plus two, Marva Andor, thanks to me, plus one. Bix Kayleen, the, the equator of the board, she is at zero. The two Stooges who Cassian murders in episode one or ne get negative one. Blevin, thanks to Nick, also negative one. Tim with two M's, negative two. Uh, Perrin, uh, Mappa's husband last week, gets negative two. And I got to update his job to former Deputy Inspector Karm next week, so he is going to be negative six right now. So that's the current board, so... We're going to start out here with the MVPs. And Dan, as our guest, give us a start here. Who is your MVP of the week? Ooh, so I, I, I kind of felt like just watching this particular episode, it has to be Lieutenant Gorn just because of all, like, the work that he's doing behind the scenes, prepping everybody, you know, having the perfect kinds of conversations, setting the Rebel team up. Like, that's an MVP look right there. He's not he's, – he's risking it all by being, you know, in the belly of the beast right now. So um, I, I'm going to give my MVP to Gorn. I do have a sleeper, but I'll save it for the end. We'll go MVP, Lieutenant Gorn. All right. I'm going to give it to Cassie in this week. I feel like he is, is such a valuable player across the thing. He diffuses his potential conflict with Skeen. When Skeen finds out he smuggles the uh, Kyra Crystal in, he basically makes the play, correct play, say, hey, you know, I'm – you know, actually here from the money, but, you know, we're, we can't let this jitters run our mission. He points out flaws in the plan that the group has been there for a while has not figured out. So Cassie's MVP for me. How about you, Pete? 
Yeah, I'm going to go with Cassian. I feel like he does do well. Like pretty much the mimic what you said, not to to kind of steal what you're saying, but I mean, it's he makes the right play, makes the right decision. He did overact a bit in that whole scene with the rail car, but um, or the plan for the rail car. But other than that, I think I think he to all your points, he was the strongest character. Uh, Nick, who are you going with? I'm going to give it to the lieutenant, Lieutenant Gordon. Yeah, he he was able to work his magic on the inside and. Gives him a chance. And that's, I think, more than anyone else did. All right. Let's go with the LVP route here. So, P, you want to start out the LVP category? Mon Mothma's kid? I mean, I it's the only one that I could feel like it's just annoying. And it's just being a nuisance to the to the episode. Yeah, just give, give it to her. So, Lita. Yep. Uh, Nick, who's your LVP? Um... I'll, I'll also give it to her. It was either going to be her or the husband. I guess I can't blame the husband for having different political views. Like, that's not something that you can give someone an LVP for. The daughter just seems like a brat. But then again, it's probably Mom Mosma's fault because she's always at work. Never raised a kid properly. That's probably why it's like that. But whatever. Give it to the daughter. Uh, Dan, who's your LVP? Yeah, I was torn. Um, you know, I don't want to keep going at Perrin here, but his passive aggressiveness was pretty rough again. But I actually, I want to give it to the two idiot corporals who tell Lieutenant Gorn that they would rather watch a fireworks show than protect <laughs> their armor, their, their garrison. So when they're just like, but sir, it would do so much if for the men, if we could go and see the crystal, like, oh my God, man, you are an idiot. So I'm going to go on LVP, idiot corporals. I, I put them as Gord's lackeys. I put them, that's how they're going on the board. Perfect. Yeah. All right. So I think for me, I, I have some interesting ideas on this one, but I think I'm going to go with Karn just because of the way he gets lectured by his mother is again humiliating. I think uh, Vingy at a point last, he getting slapped by his mother out in public. I think the other thing also is like, He's picking up one piece of cereal with his fingernail, with his fingers. Like, what the hell are you doing that for? Does he have a spoon for, buddy? So, Karn's in the LVP for very bizarre uh, cereal eating habits this week, Pete. I felt bad because he's going to end up on the list like negative 12, the lowest any character's ever had. And I don't think he's the worst character we've ever had. Like, Flea and his friends were definitely worse than Karn. But Karn's going to be the one because he's showing up consistently and being a douche consistently. Yeah, Pete. Like, like, like. How turned off you? We saw his serious habits. He's a, he's a broken man. You can tell <laughs> there's something going on there. I think uh, I have to say, Mike, to give him an LVP point for the plot points and everything going on the in the show is kind of interesting. Only because I feel like there's others that are like this is going to be more detrimental to the show than this guy. But I, I I can't say I blame you for 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 gravitating toward him because why the hell not, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like his mother is basically trying to t- teach him, like, hey, like, you know, like, let's work on getting you, like, something forward here. And he's basically, nope, nope, Cassian, he's, like, I got to get back to Cassian, not worry about advancing my own career. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. All right, next up here, let's go do our grades for the episodes here. So we're going to on a scale of 1 to 10. 1 is, oh, my God, I can't believe I watched this. This has got to be, like, throwing the fire at the, st- the 1978 holiday special. 10 is, this is the master class of... Star Wars cinematic universe products here. So, Nick, I, I, I always tell our guests every week, and if you've listened before, you know. But I always tell our guests, this is not like school where a seventy-five is average. The five is the average. Okay, so where's, what's your grade? 
I'm going to give it a four. And this episode was just really, really, really boring and didn't need necessary, but I don't think it takes away from the show. And I think that, I think you said this to me off the air, Mike, and I agree. I guarantee I'm going to give next week's episode an eight, nine, or 10. Yeah, so I, we'll, we'll see about that one for sure. Dan, why are you giving your grade for the week? Yeah, um, this show, this whole episode could have been done as like a montage, you know? You could have just been kind of bouncing around, seeing everybody just get ready, get ready, get ready for the next episode, you know? Um, I will give it a five. Um, I don't. I have a hard time when when we see the humanity and the buildup of characters nowadays, you know, in a lot of the shows that we watch, we just get thrown characters and there's no development of the characters at all. We're not really meant to, to care too much. I know Pete and I disagree on this. I do want to care about all these characters a little bit, especially in the star Wars universe, be, like just in the, in the whole, I don't know, just in, in, looking at all of the characters that we do come across, I'm I'm much more uh, in tune with that kind of writing and, and that kind of a show. I, I want to know what made a character do something heroic. So this episode did that quite a bit for Cassian. We're probably not going to get too many more episodes like this. So if you could make it through this one, something tells me the last, the back end of the episodes, there's going to be a lot more wheeling and dealing that goes on. Yeah, I'm going to give this a four. I'm going to go with Nick here. And to me, I feel like this is one of the weaker entries of this whole series here. But the way I look at it is this. Like, I think back to bad Star Wars. I think back to episode three of Book of Boba Fett when we had the Cyberpunk Power Rangers do the slow speed chase through Mos Espa with the, uh, with the uh, mayor's assistant, basically. Like, would I rather watch that and see a very horrendous action sequence like done by Rod Rodriguez or I'd rather watch this where getting good character work. I'll take the good character work. So I'll give it the four. Pete, you want to close out the grades? Yeah, I'm giving it a three. Really, really low for me. Um, it wasn't the most terrible thing I've ever seen. Um, but I do want to preface this three with, if you ask me what this show is, like I've, I've talked to coworkers about it, and they said, oh, you've been watching Andor. How is it? I haven't touched it yet. My answer is always this. Wait for the entire season to come out. Then we'll watch it. And my answer immediately after says, it will be the best live action Star Wars series you will ever watch on Disney plus currently right now, but wait until the season ends. I think that the, the format is hurting it a bit. I think if next week is anything less than an eight, nine or 10, this buildup is going to be a huge failure. Uh, that's what I worry about. I worry that we are waiting and we're doing all of this for something that's going to be lackluster. Now the show has not, I'm not going to say that the show is the show has proven me wrong, you know, consistently where the first three episodes was good. I think episodes one, two and three consistently were good with world building, things happening, new planets, getting into the plot, edge of your seat kind of stuff that grabbed my attention. Episode four grabbed my attention because it's all new stuff. I understand what's going on. This episode was just like, OK, we're still talking about what's going to happen. We're still worrying about this. We don't even get to see the dinner that Mon Mothma was like so upset about and that could have been a real big you know uh conflict within the characters i mean it it to me this didn't need 45 minutes of content this all could have been taken care of with an extra 10 minutes of content somewhere else spread out somewhere else and it would have been exactly the same 
So very low score for me, unfortunately, not because of the quality of the show, but because of the quality of the episode as it stands alone. Yeah, so let's say if you you tied something up and did 10 minutes extra last week, you would have been happier. 100%. 100% I would have. Or give me all three episodes so I could just watch it instead of waiting two weeks to get to this final, hopefully what's an eight, nine, or 10 episode. Yeah. I, I, I hate to say that I don't think it's going to be a 10 episode because that's just the pinnacle. That's the top. Nothing wrong with it. But to build up two weeks of... I don't want to say nothing, but it, nothing's really happening. We're just understanding characters, which again is great writing, great quality. When you look at it episode per episode, it doesn't really bode well. When you look at it as a show as a whole, you, I'm telling you, I, I, like I said, I tell my coworkers all the time when they ask me, wait till the season's over. It's going to be the best live action Star Wars written, produced, everything that you've seen story and you will, you will like it. You'll love it. You'll love it. But doing it episode by episode to give it a rank by itself, it's coming in low for me. I got to be honest. So basically, this week could have been an email. Could have been an email. Could have absolutely been an email. Yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and add to our predictions here. And I'm not going to ask anybody to try and guess going on with Mon Mothma or Luthen. I feel like those storylines are sort of like very impossible. I thought we had the dinner thing figured out, but that clearly we're off now. Let's talk about the heist here. So I want to give you, throw this there, two areas here. We're going to go with, uh, okay, number one, who makes the out of the heist alive? Number two, are they successful here? So Nick, start us off. Um, I think this is you to forgive me. I'm not good with the names of the people, but I think obviously Cassian survived. That doesn't count as part of the prediction. I think that the, um, the main girl survives. I'm just, I'm, I'm sorry, but again, um, I'm bad with the names. Yep. I think she survives. And I think the, uh, other girl survives. And then I think the, um, one with the mustache survives. Uh, ski or Tamarin or go. Or- yeah. You think we lose? And I think that the, the, you know what, Mike, scratch that. I think they all die, except Cassian. And I think that the heist is successful, but he doesn't get the cash, as if he like loses it on the way to Luthen, and Luthen becomes an enemy to him. And I think the dinner, the dinner will happen, and Bosk will be there. That's, a- That's bold, Nick. Um, I will say, I think that uh, Cassian, Vel, and Terramin, uh, who's now in charge, survive. And as they think they're safe, Terramin's going to get killed. So really only Vel and Cassian are making out of this whole heist. Yeah, Dan, I was going to ask you, like, is, is the heist successful? Do they get what they what they came for? Yeah, I do. I, I, th- I think that that is, um, in my opinion, what is going to help them then say and, and get enough resources um, to, to make a, a, a real impact more than just seven people in a field. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm going to go out here. I'm going to say from my group, I'm going to say it's Cassian, Vell, and Skeen survive. Everyone else dies. And I think they do not succeed here. I think they end up like basically the plan goes wrong. They can't get the thing off the rail here. And I think this sort of ties into that scene we got earlier where Deidre's talking about, oh, there's these all these isolated incidents, something's going on here. And then this pops up. And then they say, hmm, we got to investigate this, this these uh, insurrections more. So I think this is going to end up being a big thing that sort of 
incites more action over the back half of the season. I say they're not successful. They draw the attention of the Empire here. So, Pete, you want to wrap us up? Yeah, I kind of threw my hands up in the air when Nick changed his mind because my prediction was that everyone was going to die except for Cassia. <laughs> he just, like, took it away from me. But, uh, no, yeah, I, I agree with Nick. I think everyone's going. I don't think anyone's going to survive, but I do think it's partially successful. I think they destroy the base and destroy the arms because I think that's part of the mission, right? They want to try to get the armory or do something with that as well. I think they have to plan something on the fly, decide to just destroy the place instead of actually uh, stealing anything. And uh, I think everyone goes and, and Cassian kind of saves himself or tries to complete the mission and, and by himself, it has to just kind of hightail it out of there. All right. So there I we definitely think we need to look into the fact that at some point, someone's going to betray this group. I would think. I would, again, I would keep my, like, I don't trust Skeen very much either. I feel like he's the easy mark for that. Also, something I wanted to bring up about this show, something I don't like and something I love. The one thing I don't like is, if you notice, there has not been an alien in the show in episodes. Yeah, it's Everyone's also- a human. Yep. That's something I don't like. I think it makes the world feel a bit smaller. Something I love is, you know who we haven't seen yet? Not one stormtrooper. I love that. It's all officers. Because they make the stormtroopers, the stormtroopers are always completely incompetent. They're jokes. Like, they're meant to be jokes. They're comedic relief almost at this point. We haven't seen them at all. I'm assuming we'll see them next week, right? I mean, they're in the trailer, so you're going to see them at some point. Yeah, we're going to see them, but it's not like we're not going to. But I like that we haven't seen them yet because this show shows the Empire as incompetent, same as every other show does. But their reason for their incompetence is their arrogance, not because they're just like stupid. Yeah, I think to to my point was I think this this mission being a bus to get the stormtroopers involved more and try and sniff out some more of these rebellions. Could be, and that's why they go to Saw. Yeah, it could be. They're gonna wrap it here for the week. So Dan, thanks for coming on with us. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, be follow social media. You want to keep up some of the stuff you're doing? Sure. Dmart two oh seven on Twitter. Um I'm, you know, watching a, a horrific uh Colts team play tomorrow night. And um basically drinking away my sorrows. So uh, feel free to follow along. Yeah, for sure. Pete, people want to follow you on social media. Keep us up stuff you're doing. How to do that? At PJConstadori29 on Twitter. Hockey season's coming along. And bold prediction, Mike, for you, just to throw that out there. By the end of the show, Karn is going to rename himself Thrawn and paint himself blue. <laughs> and he'll get his ultimate revenge. All right. So we will put that out there in the universe. Nick, people want to follow you on social media. How do you do that? At Nick Fry underscore nine or at Sky Guys Podcast. I run the podcast. I'm making some memes tonight. Yeah, that's for sure. You also follow me on Twitter, nphilips 331 It's M P H I L I P S331. This is going to suffering, Pete. We actually did a hockey episode. I had uh, my buddy uh, Christopher, not the mad dog Russo, come on. We did some local hockey coverage. We're going to have uh, some more fun stuff going on. Yeah, I saw. I, uh, I'm always excited to listen to some hockey podcasts and and hear what you guys have to say. And uh, um, I'm excited for the season. Yep, season kicks off next week. We're going to be doing a lot of stuff. Next week's going to be a little delayed because of schedule on our end. So maybe close to the weekend. The Sky Guys feed me early the following week for Justin the Suffering. So that's the update on next week. So might be closer to Friday, Saturday for that one. So this- yeah, I'll be there too. I'll be on the Justin the Suffering coming up soon. We're going to be doing NBA, right? Over-unders? N- NBA over-unders is coming soon with Nick Fred. It's, it's a first for the for that podcast, so we'll see how that goes. Let's go, Grizz. We'll see, see there. That's all for now, but until then, may the force be with you.